Luton Town are in the Premier League. I will. Uh, I'll, I'll just say that again because it sounds pretty good actually. Luton Town are in the Premier League. Coming up on this edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast, we will review the season that saw Luton complete the journey from non-league to Premier League in nine seasons. We'll briefly go through the early stages of the season, but we're going to focus mostly on the latter part of the season. The bits that matter, really. Uh, with me, Kev, your host as always, I've got the Lutonian journalist, James Cunliffe. I've got Tony Murray, the Trust Chairman. And we've got town fan, Reg Harper, who's kindly stepped in after a late cancellation earlier today. Gents, how are we all? It's a stupid question, I know, but trust you're all well. We are yep. Premier League. Yep. Still looking for somebody to pinch me. <laughs> oh, I'll gladly do that. Yeah. <laughs> Is that why you're sat on the other side of the table, is it? Uh, Definitely. Definitely. Don't trust you, Kev. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, James, I'll start with you. Uh, let, let, let's just sort of go take it right the way back to, well, it was July, actually, when the season started. And um, none of this kind of looked possible immediately, because if you look through our first 10 games, there were only three wins there. And to say we stumbled out the starting blocks would be something of a an, an understatement, but... There were no real signs that we were going to match and emulate or better what we did the season before in those opening 10 games. It was very much, even if we went ahead, we couldn't hold on to the lead. And, uh, you know, there were some poor defeats in there, the Wigan loss at home in particular. It just it, The season just took so long to get going. Just gave everyone a head start, didn't we? <laughs> That's what it was. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the home form was pretty up and down. Couldn't really... Get a, didn't didn't get a win there actually in that first stage and yeah I think um, you know if you listen back to the podcast we was we saw it was okay the promising signs things were okay but they weren't quite clicking um, but yeah nobody could have seen what was going to happen yeah until that tenth game against Blackburn the only wins Luton had achieved this season were in Wales it was almost like we had a phobia of playing in England it was uh, it was pretty crazy and then Tony of course. Sort of going on to the next 10 games, um, the, the big news really was that Nathan Jones departed. He left the night after we played Stoke. We said at the time he should never have managed us in that game against Stoke, but he did. We lost. Mm -hmm. uh, McCarford obviously took up the reins for the one game prior to the World Cup, but no one really knew going into that World Cup um, just how we would be without Nathan. We always sort of looked back at the League One winning season that when he left, everything carried on as normal. But you just didn't know for sure. But, I mean, it all worked out well in the end. Oh, it did. It did. I mean, at the time we were like, you know, oh, what, what, what's going to happen now? Because uh, no matter what you say about Nathan, he, he motivated the team. He's a good man motivator. And you could see that um, with Nathan going, that they'd lose that edge, that motivation. But... No, it, it, in fact, actually, we've been a much better team since Rob Edwards has come in and uh, it worked out well for us. Not so well for Nathan, but it worked out well for us. Yeah, Reg, I've got to say, the last two managerial appointments that 2020 have made have kind of thrown me back immediately. I mean, to bring Nathan Jones back, nobody upon nobody saw that coming from the sort of hatred that when he left. And then to appoint a manager who six weeks previously wasn't good enough for that lot down the road. I mean, talk about balls of steel, but they had it. And well, it was a, it's turned out to be an absolute masterstroke. What people have got to realise is there's something special that's going on at Luton Town Football Club. And it has been since the 30 points. Since we went through five years of living hell 
And then along comes John Steele. Works his miracles, sets an ethos for the club to run by, gets us back into the Football League, and then along comes Nathan Jones. Now, Nathan Jones stepped in and took on the ethos. He didn't come in and try and change it. He kept it. And then he left, got us through a couple of promotions, and he left. Never wished him any harm for leaving. But what a very, very brave decision by the Luton Town Board to have him back and just drop back in on the same ethos. And then he decides he wants to leave again and they look at um, Robbie Edwards. Now, when he took over at Watford, didn't have any ethos, didn't have any anything to work with. He had to set it up and make it work himself. And they didn't give him long enough with only nine or ten games. So then he comes to Luton and he's filled in with the ethos and the way it works at Luton and he's bought into it. He hasn't tried to change it. He's gone along with it. The only thing that he's changed is probably one or two bits of formation. The substitutions have been positive. If we're drawing a game, he's put subs on to try and win it. Whereas, no disrespect to Nathan, but if we was drawing a game 15 minutes ago, he'd put subs on to keep the point rather than go for three points. That's the big difference. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's certainly fair. And of course, we should absolutely, as we're reflecting on this nine-year journey, point out that it was all started by John Still. And uh, thankfully, in the lead-up to Wembley, and actually at Wembley himself, the great man was uh, was very much part of the thoughts and, and, and everything else. I guess, James, the one thing that Rob Edwards needed to do as quickly as possible was get a win on the board so to win his second game against Norwich not just win his second game against Norwich but at the time they were above us in the league they've obviously just come down from the Premier League it was a tough game we went down to 10 men at 1-1 then he kind of maybe to me set the stall out for what was going to come for the next five seasons sorry five months of the season because as Reg just alluded to at 1-1 Nathan Jones is probably taking off the one strike or one of the strikers and bringing on a defender to plug the gap that Osho's just left. Rob Edwards, no. He takes off a midfielder and brings another striker on and that striker that he brought on wins the game. It was a, it was almost a transformational substitution to the two outlooks of the two managers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he, he needed that. It, it, it set up the tone for his management style. Bold and brave. The finish was incredible. Um, yeah, it was it was essential to get the ball rolling on his managerial tenure, and I suppose in the same way that I mean these aren't similar examples, but in the same way that COVID really benefited the return of Nathan in the sense that any ill feeling uh, wasn't apparent because the fans went in the ground, so he could get on and do the thing he did, which was the great escape, and then the same for for Edwards, if there was any sort of lingering doubt that, oh, he's that bloke from down the road, uh, that went away very quickly with with that performance because um, that's just what fans want to see. They want to see home teams and home games where you go for it, and he did, uh, and he won it in spectacular fashion. And those sorts of games where you do get those goals, those late goals, those late winners are so important, and the atmosphere was amazing as well. They're transformative for seasons, and that's how it proved. And then we kind of went on this run where losing wasn't really an option, apart from against Burnley, where everyone lost to Burnley, and even then they didn't exactly outplay us. It was a 
uh, an indifferent penalty that um, that beat us. But another game, Tony, that kind of summed up the progression under Rob Edwards was Sheffield United away in early March. At the time, we went there and you kind of wondered, well, if we win this, we're only within sort of eight or so points of them. Can we skip this playoff malarkey altogether and go and catch them? And the way we beat them so comfortably, even though it's only one or so, so dominantly, just spoke wonders that we could go away from home to the second best team in the league and not be overawed. Whereas under Jones, in a lot of the so-called big matches, there was kind of a a bit of freezing about it, wasn't there? You know, it was the the magnitude of the game was almost too big, but not not under Edwards. No, not at all. I mean, when you when you compare it to the game the previous season when we went up there and lost and we were well beaten, and you you probably in all honesty before the game this season you were expecting the same sort of thing, but no. You know, this team, it is a team, they work together, they're a well-oiled machine, they know their jobs, they fight for each other. And we totally nullified Sheffield United. In in fact, actually, you, you wouldn't have thought that they were second in the league because they had nothing, they didn't trouble us at all. And when we got the opportunity, um, we stuck it away and came away with three well-deserved points. A wonderful win, which if I remember rightly, we didn't even have a shot on target in, even though Carlton Morris scored in that game. Yeah. Uh, quite how that worked out. Uh, I'm not overly sure. Um, not long after that, Reg, there was a, an international break, the final international break of the season. We came out of that international break with the biggest game Luton have played in 16 years. Sorry, in, in 26 years, the home game against that lot down the road. Uh, obviously, I would not dwell on what happened down there already in this <laughs> podcast. We don't need to. But it made that game all the more bigger. Uh, we've uh, since then we've signed Cody Drame, we've signed marvelous Nakamba. But it was two um, sort of players who were here right from the start of the season uh, that, that were the heroes that day: Gabe Osho, Alan Campbell, in a two-nil win against Watford, where the Kenny was at its magical best. Superb day, wasn't it? It's the loudest I've heard the Kenny for for many many years. Um, but again. It just proves what I was saying a few minutes ago. We, The players wanted to win that game for Robbie Edwards, as well as the fans, as well as for themselves. Um, because he came along and he bought into what we're doing here, um, and the players love him to pieces. And I think if, if we'd still be playing now, we, we wouldn't have let a goal in that day. You know, <laughs> if we could have played for three hours. They weren't going to score. And you could see multi million pound football team they've got players in there that are 60 70 80 million pounds to buy and they were just like watching a kids team on the park they were atrocious they weren't up for they, it they were. weren't they weren't atrocious we were so good we we made Watford look mediocre on the day whereas previously when we went down there and we got done we weren't up for it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to what um, Tony said a short while ago, you know, the difference with Jones and Edwards. You saw it in those two features, even allowing for the illness that was uh, going through the camp down uh, down there. So, James, we've um, played out the season now. We've finished third. We've not quite got Sheffield United. So we've come third, which in itself, incredible achievement, and it sets up a semi-final against Sunderland. Just kept in the tie, really. Leg. I mean, Reg just said he heard the Kenny at his loudest for a long time. 
hold my beer at night, wasn't it, really? <laughs> because they doubled down at the Kenny that night. I've been going to Kenilworth Road for 35 years. It's the loudest I've ever heard it. Loudest I will ever hear it, I think. Although, again, there might be a few more beers being held next <laughs> season. But what an incredible atmosphere. Just an incredible night for our football club. It was magical. It really was. In a night where you needed everything to go right for you because of the result in the first one, it, it all did. Uh, the first half was sensational. Uh, to get that early goal uh, from Osho, uh, the celebrations were incredible. And then obviously uh, Tom Docky pops up with that header, um, which, I mean, he was a hero anyway, wasn't he? But that's made him doubly so. And then after that, then you talk about, uh, Reg talked about the Watford players not being able to cope and just being overawed. But you, you, you saw a Sunderland team that play in front of 45,000, 40,000 fans every other week at home just wilt under the sheer force of the pressure applied by that crowd. And uh, yeah, it, it brings the hairs up on your back of your neck, just thinking about how incredible that night was. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the the pitch invasion and then managing to get them off and the players being able to do a, a lap of honour and even to the point of, you know, Sonny Bradley getting to say goodbye to the Kenny and that sort of stuff, which we now know he, he's he's going we knew it at the time, actually, because he'd announced it beforehand. But everything was perfect. I mean, I don't think there was a person that left that ground till, what, 11, half 11 at yeah, night? Yeah, I was still there at 11. And the yeah. game finished at, what, what did it finish? Yeah. Quarter 10, something like that, 10 o'clock. It was just, I mean, it was just, a, like, James used the right word, a magical night, Tony. I mean, we've, we've all got special, we've all got special memories of the Kenny. And they're getting more and more treasured, as we now know, we've only got three years left. At Kenworth Road, and we'll cover Power Court and everything in our first podcast next season. Um, but it's going to take some to beat that night. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I, I didn't think they'd top the Watford game but my god they did and it was just unbelievably loud I mean it it, it couldn't have been scripted any any better you know you you had the the first leg where we we just didn't perform um, you had Sunderland going into it with the attitude that we've done it setting themselves up for a big fall and then our guys just turned it on because they knew they wanted it more. And they knew they'd let us down in the first leg and they wanted to put that right. And it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, and what a night. And then to leave the ground after that and then all the local community joining in, the Indian drummers and everything, it was absolutely amazing. Absolutely brilliant night. It, you know, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Yeah, these aren't just great times for our football club. These are great times for our town. And we're going to, well, we'll cover that so much next year because we've got a whole year of the world's media attention on the town. Quite rightly so, it absolutely deserves it. Uh, but Reggie, the last word uh, on that semi-final from yourself. I mean, apart from Cody Dramme's miss right at the end, it was a flawless performance from Luton. And actually, had we walked out of there five or six to the good, Sunderland couldn't have had no complaints. I would, but... It, it was just the perfect performance in the biggest game that we've ever possibly ever had. Yeah, and the club set it up to start with, with the the cards up the Kenilworth Road end. Come on, you Atlas. And two All for right. one beers. 20, yeah, <laughs> two for one beer. You know, previous years, in, in, the, in the 60-odd years that I've been following Luton, the fans have done those sort of things for themselves. We used to paint 
banners on white bed sheets when I was a kid and take them down, a can of, uh, down the Oak Road. We used to have our scarves up and, and we'd be, it'd be like the Liverpool cop down the Oak Road with people singing, you'll never walk alone holding their scarves up. But 2020 set that up. They, they, they had them cards out, come on you out. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And that set the precipice for the whole game for the Luton fans to sing their hearts out. But what was more nerve-wracking, really, was one minute we were playing Blackburn, then we were playing Millwall, then we were playing Coventry, and no, we're not, we are playing Blackburn, no, we're not, we are playing West Brom, <laughs> no, we're not, we are playing Coventry, no, we're not, we are playing Millwall. Oh, no, we play Coventry. <laughs> and you have to give Coventry as much accolade as you possibly can for what they did because four or five games into the season they hadn't got a point. They were bottom of the league and they just sneaked in with that last game. And it's just a shame that someone has to lose. No, it's at, not. At Wembley. <laughs> no, no, it's really not. It might have been a shame had it have been us that lost, but no, mm. it absolutely is oh, a shame. I hate penalties as well, by the way. Awful, awful way to lose. I used to hate penalties. Yeah. <laughs> I've well, come round to them now. <laughs> we'll come on to the shootout in a minute, but... Yeah, as just alluded to then, James, that set up a final. I mean, to be fair, Trafalgar Square was meant to be full of Sunderland and Middlesbrough fans that day. I don't know what they ended up doing on that Saturday, but there were none of them at Trafalgar Square that much, I do know, because it was Luton against Coventry in the playoff final. And that's Luton against Coventry for 200 million for all the marbles, really. And these are the games that Luton don't perform in. The big games, the ones that really matter, the ones that they raise up all of our hopes and then they dash them in one foul swoop. Only it's different now. Luton do perform in these games. And in the first half at Wembley, it was almost like we were playing a league two, the League 2 version of Coventry that we got promoted with. We were so dominant, it was untrue. We had the ball in the net three times. Only one counted, quite rightly so. VAR was right on both occasions. We missed two more sitters. It was an absolute avalanche at one end. And this was all after all of our players had seen their captain collapse in front of their very eyes the sheer character of the players to do that after that and of course we're all grateful that Tom Lockyer's is fine he's had his procedure and everything else and we'll come on to that in a second but that first half performance given the circumstances was as good as it could ever be uh, yeah the whole game I mean people often say football games or football seasons are like roller coaster rides and that one was because they started really well and when Tom Lockyer went down I didn't see it um, and, and probably lots of people didn't, so I didn't understand what had what had gone wrong. Um, I didn't know he'd collapsed. Uh, they, they, I was sitting in the press, um, the press desks, and they had the TV there, but they weren't showing a replay of what happened, so nobody knew what the severity of it. Um, uh, we thought he just injured himself somehow and, and was gone off. And at that point, you're thinking, well, I mean, he's been Captain Marvel for the last couple of months, and really with that goal got them to Wembley, you're thinking, well, what's what's going to happen now? Because are, are the wheels going to fall off? Is this one of these things where something bad happens and you just don't recover? And, and, and like the opposition have got the best striker in the league. Yeah. And, you know, you've lost your best defender. And um, and it just wasn't that. And, uh, you know, full credits of Reese Burke. I actually thought he was man of the match. Um, he was incredible. And we've talked about him a lot, actually, on this podcast. We we think he's absolutely brilliant. He's unlucky to miss out on that game. He had the injury at the same time as Gabe and didn't uh, recover just as quickly as as Gabe. But what a performance he he was to 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 do that. And they didn't 
Covent, I know they scored a goal. They didn't really have a sniff, didn't they? They had the one Hamer chance that Bell got in the way of. And then the goal, which was a fine strike, really. It went through the legs of Osho, probably unsighted. Horvath, but um, yeah, they should have been they should have been out of sight by half time. And then at that point, you're going, oh, well, they've lost the captain. They're one nil up. They should be out of sight. Is it not going to be away? And then, you know, Coventry score. And the press desks were actually in the old Coventry end, which was a bit gutting for me because all I could hear was them. Well, not in the first half. It was like a pin drop. We couldn't hear nothing. But once they scored and you thought, because they were really good at that point, they were on top and then they scored and you thought momentum, therefore, makes... Coventry are going to go win this. Probably not helped by the fact I was in their end. And no, no, I was saying the Luton end, thinking exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. as, uh, you know, but Tony, thankfully, Hamer decided to go up in a challenge with Marvellous Nakamba, and no one comes out on the right side of that. And as it turned out, he rolled his ankle in the process. And the game changed from the moment that he left the pitch, what was it, 10, 15 minutes away from the end of normal time. Coventry kind of slumped those fans that James was talking about. They knew how big a, an impact he was having on the match. Our players also pretty, probably knew it as well. And he just felt that we were growing in confidence from there. And actually, if there was a winner in normal time, it might have been us right at the very end in that eight minutes of extra time. But but not to be. But you, you kind of felt going into extra time that we've got control back of the situation. Yeah. Um, the, to be honest, you're looking back at the game and watching it again you see in the, in the in extra time it only looked like there was going to be one winner we we were stronger I mean with Hamer going off um, they didn't link up so well with Goikers um, and they didn't look the side they, they had uh, before Hamer went off um, you know and I, and I, to be honest with, 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 with the game actually um, I mean we had the ball in the net three times that were all disallowed for VAR. I think without VAR, all of them would have stood. Certainly the last one, because I don't think the referee, the Joe Taylor one, I don't think the referee noticed that that was handball. I mean, obviously when you see it, he's got his back to the play. He's probably not going to notice that anyway. I think Elijah kind of gave himself up for his one, didn't he? He just got the ball smacked at him, nothing he could do. You know, going back to the Tom Lockyer thing, and thank God he's all right, but you'd have thought, Luton sides previously to lose a key player like that would have folded, but we didn't. And you know, yes, Reese Burke came on and had a storming game, but I think Osho did as well. Moving into the centre of defence, had had a great game as well. And there was just—it's it, easier with hindsight, but looking back on it, it's just like there's no way they were going to lose. You know, they, they, they sort of roll their sleeves up and we're in there, we're in there, come on, we've taken the best you've got, Coventry, and you, you've broken us down once, but you haven't done anything else since then. Um, and I, I, I don't think Coventry could have moaned too much about the result at the end of the day. Um, I'd rather Joe Taylor's goal had stood and won it like that rather than go to penalties because I, I, I still think penalties is an awful way to lose and I did feel for Coventry losing like that because we've been there Wimbledon you know uh, so, and it is an awful way to lose um, but uh, you've got to give them credit they were they were very um, complimentary about us all the Coventry fans I spoke to after the game were, were, were really complimentary and, and they were genuinely pleased for us as well you know and and, and uh, 
it it was a great day all round. I mean, like all of us here, my nerves went through the shredder, uh, and. You know, by the time I got home, I got I got in at about got to bed about quarter to three in the morning, and I was absolutely exhausted. Only be woken up at seven to go on the radio. Two mornings on the trot that happened, and I'm absolutely oh, but and it took me a few days to get over it. But I'd happily go through it again. Happily go through it again. Me too, as long as I know the result. But don't you think, if you've watched the game back and you go to the penalty, I've, I've watched the penalty shootout again, and it's like, he's going to miss, he's going to miss, he's going to miss. But big up to all those six players. You know, nerves of bloody steel. I mean, who who thought when Dan Potts stepped up to, to take that sixth penalty? I bet we were all going, oh my God. Dan Potts, oh, Dan Potts, but oh, I, I, if I next time I see Dan Potts, I'm going to apologise to him. He yeah. doesn't know it, but I just was going no, <laughs> and I couldn't mm. believe that. I, I always have that. It's not Dan Potts' fault. I have it with defenders all the time because of Stuart Pearce and Gareth uh, Southgate in the World Cup and the Euros for England. So don't take penalties if you're a defender. But my God, that was a great penalty. I have to say as well, a lot's been made about Pelly going from non-league to. Premier League with uh, the same team. You also got to give credit to Dan Potts for going from League Two to Premier League at the same side. And Luke Berry, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, James Shea as well. I know he wasn't on the pitch, but he was on the bench as well, James Shea, yeah, yeah in that game. And I guess that's part of the incredulism of what we've done that so many players have come with us from so far. And of course, of course, Joe Taylor, who was, well, turned out to be one of the heroes, he was on loan at God knows how far down the non-league pyramid last season, and uh, all of a sudden he what? thought he'd sent Luton to the Premier League. What, league what a confident young player to have that oh. goal disallowed, and then to have the balls to step up and take the second penalty for us. I thought he scored a, the winner. To be honest, I'd lost all decorum in the press uh, box, and you could. How ask, did you have decorum uh, two minutes from the I end? Did, anyway, I, I mine had, had gone like. Um, if if Mike Simmons from the Luton News had hair I'd have pulled it all out I was that raucous (laughs) about it I was jumping all over him thinking he's won it and we're going to the Premier League and um, I'm sure everyone else was looking at me going I was hugging anything that moved Yeah, and and then someone tapped me on the shoulder and said it's been disallowed I was like don't be stupid of course it ain't been disallowed Oh shit! It has been disallowed. We're just going to have to get used to in the Premier League, I suppose. We've not had it before, other than um, it saved a couple of goals in the FA Cup tie at Bournemouth, didn't it? But other than that, not really had it. So, Mm. yeah, I'd I'd lost my mind at that point, really. And and it was again, it was it was the high of that and the crushing low of it not go not being given, thinking this is going to go to penalties now. Put it put it this way: that penalty shoot really tested my bladder control. Yeah. Well, I mean. when that goal was disallowed, the third goal of the afternoon that was disallowed, I was thinking, is someone up there, is he this trying is not to tell day. us it's not our this, day? Yeah. Is, yeah. This, is this what he's doing to us? But then amazingly, right, Reg, probably the two biggest coin flips in the club's history, the end that the penalties are getting taken and whether you go first or second. And Dan Potts has called correctly both times. Now, I, we've got an interview with Dan Potts from the parade coming up. I, have, I didn't actually ask him this on camera, but I asked him, why didn't you play the lottery that night? Because if you're winning those two <laughs> coin flips, you're a millionaire. Or if, you... if you play the lottery, unbelievable. And it's, I think he actually celebrated, didn't he, when he won yeah, the, the first coin flip yeah. for the end. And as it proved, that was all important to win those those two coin tosses. There you go. If, if you ever need a bit of luck in a game, that was it. 
But the crazy that thing was, was we needed. he captained us in the penalty shootout, but Jordan Clark finished the extra time period captaining us because we mm. went Lockyer, Pelly, Jordan Clark, and then somewhere between the end of extra time and penalties starting, Dan Potts got the armband. So it might not even have been Dan Potts doing the coin flip at all. It might have been Jordan Clark, but I mean, everyone's more than happy that it was Potts and, uh, to win both. I, of them, I, I do mean. say, I think he called it correctly both times. Because I, I honestly think that there's far more pressure on players if you're going second in the penalty shootout. Yeah, I mean, speaking to Rob Edwards again off uh, off microphone before I interviewed him, he said we wanted first penalty. We weren't really bothered about the end, but obviously you'd love it at your end. But if we could only have one, we wanted the first penalty. But to get them both, I mean, happy days. And then James, I mean... Luton's last penalty shootout prior to this was at Stevenage and three of the penalties yeah. that night are still travelling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then in the biggest pressure that these players are ever going to step up to a spot, six of the most perfect penalties you'll ever see. But thankfully for us, obviously not for him and the, the horrible abuse he's had since is just bang out of order. Thankfully, Fancati Darbo decided that the white sticks and the ball did not need to meet. And at no stage was that ball ever between the white sticks with his penalty. And then pandemonium ensued. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's gutting for him, I suppose. It's, but, you know, on the with Luton glasses on, he's the 20th century Gus Caesar, and he's like the, the, the bloke that, that, that's done it. But, um, yeah, I mean... 21st century. <laughs> That's one for the history books, kids. Look up the Little Woods Cup <laughs> final. <laughs> Google it. Um, yeah, it was... It, it, I'd love to see where Gus Caesar's penalty would have ended if he had gone to that. I mean, there's no way that stays in Wembley. I don't even think he'd kick it far enough to get to the goal, would he? They just tripped over the ball and, oh, well, such is life. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's always heroes and, and villains in these games, isn't it? And... You know, from a Luton perspective, uh, that was the best penalty I've ever seen from from Dabo. I mean, we talk about all the six from Luton, but that one was spot on. And I mean, all the video that keeps coming out and there's new stuff every day. I can't believe it that there's still new stuff that we keep seeing. And there's the one that came out yesterday. I think, oh, the side on sort of dugout sort of angle. Well, you can see, well, you can see it's never in, it's never in from miles the middle away. Foot. And then the the scenes of carnage at that one. <clears throat> I mean. Uh, yeah, but my, I think Mike Simmons got bruised shoulders. Uh, I was jumping up and down on him and pinching and pun- not punching him. I was grabbing him and stuff. And I tell you, if COVID was still a thing, I was passing it around Wembley like there's no tomorrow at the back of that stage. You, I was you're hugging right, literally James, anything with, with, that moved. With the pandemonium, and it was like you look at it, you think there was three possibilities why everybody was jumping up and down cheering. One was that we'd won. Two we're in the Premier League, or three, bloody hell, we've actually won a penalty shootout. Yeah. And a playoff. Yeah. Seven yeah, times we've actually won the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. It, I, you know, I, I often feel um, quite privileged that I get to be in games in the press desks and I get to speak to players and stuff, so I, I, I get that aspect of it. And most of the time, I'm happy with that. But when that went in, well, from the extra time goal and then from Joe Joe. Taylor's goal and then the penalties it's one of those situations where because I was in I was basically in the Coventry end in where the press desk I was just thinking I just really wanted to be over there where all the that was just this twitching wall of orange of limbs everywhere and I just I just wanted to be over there and I couldn't get anywhere near it but 
the closest I could get was the steps. So I saw the players going up there and I, I just, I was supposed to be writing a match report and I just went, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to, because this is the best day, that's, best day of my life. It's great. And uh, I was up there and um, yeah, it was just sensational emotions that went through that. You know, when it, it was probably the same for everybody in that end, you guys as well, I don't know, but it just hit me at a certain point when the, when the players were going up the steps and they're just like, like bawling because it was that was that emotion it was it was the roller coaster and um the tense uh, atmosphere of the day and everything that was riding on it but then obviously the story that we've sort of touched on a nine-year story well 15-year story really um you could probably even say this whole century and, and what's gone on the, the downs of the first 10 years of it um and then the ups of the last nine um I know the maths don't quite work out there, but uh, you know, yeah, what I mean? was your strong point, <laughs> you know wasn't it? I mean? But yeah, all, all of that, everything we've gone through, all the all the shit, and, and now these these highs that, fortunately, we've been able to cover on this podcast um, since League Two, and you know, it, it's great for us to make history as well as Pelly, because the only podcast to go from League Two to the Premier League. We was there right from the start of the League, go, through, uh, uh, League process, absolutely. I mean, Tony, you've been to Wembley plenty of times as a Luton fan. You experienced the highs of 88. Well, in fact, you both did, Tony and Reg. You, you experienced the highs of 88. Was this better than 88? Yeah. 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 Much better than 88. <clears throat> hundred times better. Um, it, it, it's, it was great to win the Littlewoods Cup and, and the, the fans and, and the players running up to the fans with a cup and whatever. Um, and then to go back again the following year and, and lose was was a bit heartbreaking. Um, but but to win the playoff final, the richest game in world football, it's a statement to say where we are now, where we've been, and where we're going. Um, so for me, it, it's better than winning the Littlewoods Cup. I I'd, I'd agree with you there, Reg, because. Um you know, at, at the time we were in the first division, what is now the Premier League, when we won the League Cup, and um, it was sort of at the time where, you, you, as, as a side, you were expected to do well in the cup competitions. This is brilliant because we've come as a rank outsider. Nobody expected us to do what we've done. And... It, as one of my fellow board members said, it's sticking two fingers up to the FA in the Football League as to what happened Completed. in 2009. Don't worry about it, really. But Completed. also it's the fact that, you know, we've gone, you know, did, did, remember sitting there thinking, you know, we didn't know whether we were going to have a football club to actually follow and, and support. And, you know... We put on a brave face with the 30 points, but we all knew what was going to happen, you know. And, it, it, you know, lowest of the low, being beaten at home by Hyde. And you never believed, you know, some years later, you'd be going into the, you know, the, the, the top league in the country. But again, it's more than that. It's actually knowing now that the future of our club is secured. We're going to have a new stadium. 
you know, with, with the owners we've got, and we know that they're not going to spaff all the money up up the wall. You know, if you use a Johnsonism, um, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right, and whatever happens next season. If we stay in the Premier League, great. If we don't, we go down. We've still done it. We're still assured. We're still in a good place. It's it's quite ironic as well when you look back at 88 um, because we played some of our best ever football under David Pleat and the win at Manchester to keep us up and send them down. And then in late 87, David Pleat leaves Luton and goes to Tottenham and Ray Harford takes over at Luton. It's funny, isn't it? How Jones leaves and goes to um, Southampton. Robbie Edwards comes in and takes over and we're playing some of our best football. And we're swapping places with Southampton. It's a funny old game. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Swapping places with Southampton and we're leaving one hell of a gap between ourselves and that lot down the road. Oh, it's great. It's great. For so long we've had to put up with their crowing and little looting and we'll never play you again. Up yours, you scummers. Not just the future of the club that's secured at Wembley, uh, our town can now thrive for at least the next year. The world's media is going to descend on our our town. Our town's going to be in the focus. Uh, I've done worldwide interviews. You've done worldwide interviews. There's been plenty of worldwide interest already and we're still two months away from kicking a ball in the Premier League. It's just brilliant, not just for the football club, but for the town of Luton as well, that we're going to host Premier League football. We're going to have a booming sort of year of the economy. I mean, if, if, if Brighton's anything to go by, somewhere in the region of 200 million. It's just brilliant for a town that is desperate to thrive, but just needed that leg up to be able to do it. You know, the, the fortunes of our town have mirrored the fortunes of our football club, really. And and um, the our, our town has been beaten down by outsiders and insiders as well. Some Lutonians uh, say the same thing. I run a, I run a Luton record label called Vandalism Begins at Home. The name of that stems from people inside Luton Lutonians who would talk us down. If you don't support each other and don't raise each other up and you aim insults and, and look down on the place that you live, then it just has this, has this effect that seeps into the consciousness. Um, you know, I, I, I I came to Luke when I was five. I got smuggled across the border. I don't remember much before it, but... You don't remember anything anyway. I don't fit. remember much anyway. But I, I do remember very vividly growing up in this town and being told by people in it and people out it that Luton was a shithole. It was a horrible place, a hellhole you needed to get out with. I grew up with this um, impression of my town. Uh, and it it was there. It, it, it was there as I grew up and became a man. And it was only when I started writing about Luton, covering Luton in two thousand five, following them all over the country, that I started to get a real sense of what people are saying about my town is not what my town is. And I'd go to these other places and see what their towns were like and hear the attitudes of some people. And, you know, if to be blunt about it, we live in a diverse town and most people get on here. And I never had that sense that uh, racism really existed. And then I went out to town, to different towns and different cities and, and I heard it and I couldn't believe it. And so L- Luton Town, the football club, 
instilled in me a change of attitude about my town. And ever since that, since 2005, was nearly 20 years now, I've been proud to be a Lutonian. But there's still that element because we still get told that our town is this terrible place. So there's still the people that believe that. And, and I just hope that this match and this, um, th- what's going to come is the starting point for a change in that attitude. You know, there, I hope that there's this sea change in the way Luton now views itself. We've now, as Lutonians, got to stand up and puff our chest out and say, no, we're Luton. And you're not going to tell us what we are. This is us now. We're in the Premier League. We're a big town. The town's getting regenerated. Part of that is going to be a football club. We are a great town and we need to like stand up and defend ourselves against those people. And I think we do, but I think this is going to be a whole nother scale of it really. And the one thing that has really got me in the days since the final um, is I, I, I wish I could have split myself in two because I was so fortunate to be a Wembley. It was great. I loved it. It was the most magical spine tingling day I could ever possibly imagine. But then in the days after, just seeing clips of all people, all races, creeds and colours in Wardown Park, where the, the council put of the big screens and the clips of just this, just my town, that is my town and all the people in there just exploding with this joy at, at the penalty miss and, and the Premier League promotion. That's, it's like sort of choked me up a lot. <laughs> it's just kind of choking me up now <laughs> a little bit. And it, it just really got to me because that is Luton. And if, if, if I could show anyone a snapshot of anything about Luton, it would be that. It would be those people all just experiencing this wonderful, joyful moment that, you know, it's it, it stuck me for, for such a long time. It's the same as what Tony was talking about after the Sunderland game, where the Indian drummers were there to welcome all the fans out. And it's just like, that's what we are. And that's what we need to start projecting to the world. Yeah, I mean, even since... Uh... Since then, I've had to do. I've, I've done media interviews, and I've had to say how great the town is and, and everything else. And I'll, I'll always do it. I'll keep on doing it. I'm like you. I'm a proud Lutonian, and forever will be. And anyone who needed um, any more evidence, Tony, of how great our town is, and how diverse, and how multicultural, and how brilliant it is in line with the football club, got it on the Monday after Wembley when an estimated twenty thousand people were out on the streets of Luton. The bus couldn't move. There were so many people. In fact, the only time the bus did move, it got stopped by Pelly, so he could get a couple of Colonel buckets pulled up to him uh, <laughs> halfway down. And I mean, I was in the press area of the parade. I was, um, I was basically James that day. He couldn't make the parade. Uh, he'd already wangled a favour or two to get to Wembley and wasn't getting another one uh, yeah. in yeah. his direction. But you guys were all in the fans. Uh, it was just a sea of orange, a sea of noise, a sea of joy, and and under beautiful blue skies really hot day obviously too hot for some unfortunately but in the main uh, just a great occasion just it was great... fantastic you know um you've got to make the most of times like that because they don't come around very often but certainly the the town knows how to enjoy itself when we we've got a reason to um and i fully endorse what james was saying i mean you grow up, you hear bad things about your town. 
And it's always people knock it all, Luton's a shithole. I mean, away fans sing it, don't they? Luton's a shithole, I want to go home. And might actually, they will piss off then. Nobody made exactly you come. exactly what I said. No, nobody makes you come. <laughs> Doors open. You know, we got your money, so off home. Um, but, you know, and nobody is going to argue that our town has badly needed regeneration for years. But with this money coming in and power court and everything, that's going to do it for us. You see, the trouble is with people who come in from outside, they visit a certain part of the town, you know, um, whatever it is, and, and they think it's bad. And they think the whole town is like that, you know. But it's not. It's not. It's like any town up and down this country, you know, um, I've, you know, and I've been on holiday and somebody says to you, where are you from? And you go, Luton, and they, they look at you and they they start giving you a bit of space, you know. What do you think I'm going to do? Do you think I'm going to knife you with something, you know? Um, and it, a lot of it is unwarranted. It, it It is unwarranted, you know. And perhaps it doesn't help with some of our neighbouring towns who look down their noses at us, uh, not that I'm talking about you, Harpenden, at all, or as I like to think of it, uh, Lower Luton, <laughs> Harpenden. Um, you know, and, and Harpenden and the surrounding towns, they're going to ride on the coattails of Luton, of the, you know, everything that's coming into Luton and everything with the Premier League. And, and it's a good opportunity now to get out the story of just how good a town this is. To live in. I mean, there's 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 only one way to go with this, as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, we, we should all push the positive side of this. And, you know, as I've already said, you know, in Walldown Park and in Georgia Square, you know. And and the very part scenes for that victory parade were incredible as well. But, um, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Well... You know, we drove into town and we saw them starting to put all the colours up and everything, and it was brilliant. And then the fact that they also sent the drummers down to Wembley mm. after the game as well, you know, coming out and you could hear all that. And, and it was absolutely wonderful, wonderful, fantastic occasion. It's funny, yeah. isn't it? Because you go to football grounds and hear these people that play the drums really boringly, and then you get these Indian drums and you're like, party time! It's different, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? You know, and thank God, there was no bloody drums during that game, though, because it's two things I hate in modern football is drums during the game and bloody goal music. You wouldn't have got it. They're two proper fan bases. I mean, to be fair. But having said that, well, if they if, have a drum at their home ground, don't they? Coventry, if, if, the if they let the Indian drums in during our game, I, I might much come better. round to that yeah, because it, it, that would be much better, you know, and, and you know. So, yeah. Away fans get a good deal at Luton, don't they? I mean, I've been a away fan. I've been I've been to loads of places, loads of grounds all around the country. I've had to walk through cowfields. I've had to go places where Cambridge United by any chance? <laughs> gone places where um, I've lost my ticket. I've had to climb up a tree and look over the over the um, terracing. At least away fans, when they come to Luton, they've only got to walk through someone's garden, haven't they? It's quite easy, really. Or as Gary Sweet calls it, one shit entrance, whereas the rest of us have to walk through the another shit entrance. The thing about that, though, is it, it's not as if this is a new character, thing. Isn't it? 
It used to have the same entrances when we were in the old first division. But it is a new thing because football only invented in 1992. I mean, it it it, it is going to be a shock we for some of thing. for we'll some of their newer fans and and you know certainly the the prima donnas that play for a lot of these sides they're in for a shock. You know, I, I just wonder how the likes of Manchester City and you know, and Liverpool and Manchester United are going to be when they get the first throw in and Osborne's rapping their face, giving it wanker signs and all that, you know. It's a bit different. You know, they do get it away gowns, but there's quite a bit of difference, a distance between them and the crowd. Not a Kenilworth Road. No, that is absolutely something to uh, look forward to in the year to come. And of course, Reg, the next time we're at Kenilworth Road, it's going to look different. There'll be no boxes you were there when the bobber stand was a bobber stand and it's going to be back mm, again so and that I. kind of uh, i guess that also kind of highlights the magnitude of what we've done well yeah back in the day you could you could uh, stand in the oak road end and the away fan to stand in the kenilworth road end and at half time you could see little gaps appearing and then bigger um people getting a bit tighter down the bobbers and the fans were walking towards each other Back in the days when there was trouble. Um, happily, those days are gone now. But uh, it'd be great to see it come back if you could walk from the Kenilworth Road down to the Oak Road, but I don't think it will. But mm. I've never been a lover of the, of the boxes. I thought it took um, a lot of fans out of the ground. It made it harder for a lot of fans to, to get to see uh, a game at Kenilworth Road. So if what I'm hearing, that there's going to be anything between 1,000 and 1,500 uh, extra seats, that can be a good thing. But I do, I do worry a little bit how they're going to build a canteen for over 100 journalists. It's all um, right. James will have something outside. Know. It's not a problem. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> we'll send James down the KFC do these, for everyone. Why, why do all these journalists get special treatment? Yeah, they, they've got to have a canteen as well, Tony. Yeah. Don't God. forget the canteen. Yeah, they've never been in the trenches like me, Tony. I, I had to, I had to sit on someone's lap near enough when when Histon when went I, to I wouldn't mind giving them all this if they started printing the truth. Yeah, but you send, know. just send me the Wi-Fi password and we'll uh, we'll call it quits. As long as they don't lose the clock, that clock's got to go to power court. Oh, well, that clock. Well, it's got to go. When we, come on to commu- when we come on to community next season, we'll talk yeah. about SKF. And yeah, they've been in off loads of work, of, isn't they? legacy of the town. Yeah, absolutely. That's for another time, though. This is very much a celebration, and we celebrated very hard at the parade. As I say, I was James that day, and uh, I was invited into the town hall, and I got some reaction from some of the players that played a key role at Wembley. But before we get there, Let's just replay what David Wilkinson and Gary Sweet said to Three Counties radio guys at the parade themselves. Starting with David Wilkinson, the chairman. I still can't believe it, really. Certainly haven't got my head around it. And I don't know when we will. I guess perhaps when the, when the fixtures come out, we'll actually realise that we're really there. I mean, I've been coming to Kenilworth Roads for 65 years. We were talking this morning that um, I think the board have got over 300 years of supporting the club in their in their in their uh, in their history. So we are we're Luton people, and that's what we care about. And and this is another part of the journey. And and you are one of the most important parts of it. 
15 years ago, Gary Sweet brought us all together to save this football club. And immediately after that, we got the most uh, horrendous penalty ever given, uh, which put us down into the non-league. Since then, we've rebuilt, and Gary Sweet's plan, which we all backed, has come to fruition. So, what I'd like to do now is to welcome the Championship Chief Executive of the Year, my mate, Gary Sweet. That's um, a great tribute, but a fitting tribute, if I may say so. A lovely tribute from a lovely man. Uh, yeah, he is my mate. Um, I'm now his chauffeur, actually, so uh, I take him all around to all the away games. So, yeah, he's good, buddy. Thank you, David, for those words. But... You stand here as the chief executive of a Premier League football club, looking at all these magnificent fans in a town of which you are rightly very proud. I love this town. I love this town. I love this, this town. You know what I love about this town is actually you. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. This, there's a beating heart here that doesn't exist in any other town I know. Uh, and everything we do as a football club is for this town. A lot has been said about what this means to the town and what it means financially. It sounds a bit vulgar to talk about money, but... What does it mean in terms of what you can do and our long-awaited stadium at Power Court? Well, the, um, financially, money is, is important. It, it, you know, for our football club, it means we, we can have more ambition as a football club. But actually, for the town, it also means we can have more ambition. Um, and the impact of being in the Premier League will be massive to this town. But there's one thing I want to say. It's one thing I'm saying to my, my staff. I'm saying to, to our players, I'm saying to everybody, I'm saying to all you here as well, is this could be a life-changing opportunity for us, us getting into the Premier League. But please, from a character point of view, don't change. Let's still, still be us. Still be grounded. Let's not change. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep humble. Stay Luton. Stay who we are. None of that Billy Big Bollocks shit, okay? And inside the town hall, the first player I came up against was the man who kicked the last ball uh, from a Luton player in the EFL, Dan Potts, uh, where I asked him uh, very much about the shootout, about his journey uh, and about Premier League football to come. (laughs) 
Dan Potts, it's been quite some journey. You joined us in League Two, yeah. and now here we are, Premier League Football Club. What does it mean to you, mate? Uh, yeah, listen, um, it means the world. Obviously, you see the people out there, how much it means to them. But um, for myself, I'll probably speak for everyone else at the club. Um, it was associated, it, it does mean the world. It's a big, big achievement. And I think once we all zoom out and look at what's actually happened, and what's, especially over the last couple of days, um, we'll be super proud. I mean, it's been a whirlwind few weeks, hasn't it? That semi-final was epic. Saturday was just unbelievable. I mean, what's it been like to just to be in that bubble? Um, I think it's probably been even better this time because obviously we've had the heartbreak before the playoff heartbreak last year. I mean, I look back all the way back in League Two when, when it happened as well. Um, it does make it a little bit sweeter. And everyone says it's the best way of doing it. And um, I think we agree, yeah. Yeah, I certainly do, being in the stands on Saturday. When John signed you in League Two, did you see this day happening? Um, no. I mean, listen, you always try and have an end goal in life and whatever career you're in, you always have that goal. But it's always important to sort of take the steps in between. Um, and thankfully, that this club, it's, it's, it's happened and them steps have been pretty quick. Um, but no, in, in answer to your question, Premier League was a far, far cry from where we were at the time. Um, but we're in now. Interesting about um, Potts, isn't it? Because he scored Luton's first goal of the season up at Burnley and he scored set effectively the winning goal that took them to the to the Premier League uh, for a player that barely looked, well, barely got a sniff of the sit previous season and have found a new lease of life as a centre-pack uh, and a little bit of injury. Uh, but he played more games this season, I think, than he has in the previous two. So uh, it's quite a story for him, as Tony mentioned earlier, about the, the, the rise from him as well from the League Two. Yeah, he paid for my season ticket with that goal at Burnley and gave me even more memories uh, with his goal at goal at Wembley. Uh, that's for sure. I caught up with the man who scored what I believe the ninth person to score for Luton Town at Wembley, Jordan Clark. I'm still just trying to take it all in, you know. Uh, Obviously, the, the, the day, the, the, the game hasn't sunk in just yet, but seeing all that today is really a, a pinch-yourself moment, you know? Seeing all these people turn out, and uh, I never thought there'd be that many people there, to be honest. It's really, real, real... bit emotional, to be honest with you, you know? It's, see how much it means to so many people, and uh, apart from the, the four or five people who fainted or whatever they did I think I hope they're okay and stuff um, I think it was just dehydration so um, obviously fingers crossed they're okay it helps massive and stuff but just what a day for the fans you know and that's obviously for the players and the staff and the group of, group of lads we've got there we've achieved our dream of getting to the, uh, to the Premier League which you always set out for a kid as a kid but I've had people in there saying to me like you've made our lives you know and touches you a little bit you know what I mean it's special special little comments like that and you think you know what these people have been following this club for 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years however however old people are it's yeah really special day and it's chuffed a bit yeah I've been supporting us just over 30 years and you gave me the greatest day I've had with regards to football I mean I don't know if you got much sleep on Friday night but if you went to bed and uh, slept did you dream that it would be you that opened the scoring on Saturday no no 
not at all. I mean, I think I got to bed about five o'clockish in the morning. The little, the little one was up at eight o'clock, so I was, I was wide awake. So I didn't have much sleep, and then tried to reply to all the people who sent me lovely messages from my friends, family, and just look, everyone really. It was such kind messages and stuff, and obviously, like you said, they give you the best the day you football in life. It's like you said, it touches you, you know, and you, you realise what you've done for this for this fan for all these fans and this town and this community you know it's such a special place and I've always said it's a special team and special group of lads but it's like, like I said it's a special place with everyone involved everyone pulling in the right direction and we've achieved our dream and I'm just like I said so happy for everyone And he also caught up with the man who set that goal up for Jordan Clark. Life, I'll come to the assist and everything first, but can I just get your thoughts on the fact that next season you're going to be playing in the Premier League? The Premier League? Yes, Premier League. <laughs> um, some achievement, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I can hear my voice. and Not me, myself at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful achievement. Chris Phillips walking by. CP, the man. He's, he's, see you later. Um, yes, it's fantastic. Uh, can't wait to hopefully get going. Have you seen the goal, that, uh, Jordan's goal back? The, uh, the huge part that you played in that goal. You absolutely turned the defender inside out and uh, rolled it into him, and then, you know, Clicker does what Clicker does. I think I've watched it so many times um, on different broadcasting pages. So I've watched it in French, Spanish, English, ITV, BBC. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's something that I've got, something that people probably don't see a lot of. Um, and it's the same with Carlton as well. Like, we're both very good with our feet. And Clicker does what Clicker does. I call him superstar because he is a superstar. As you are too. Did you actually see him make that run when you got your head up when you cut inside? Yeah. I saw he was the first person I saw, and like Nathan Jones has said it plenty of times. He's the best free transfer in history. I completely agree. And yeah, I mean, and you see Clicker there. You know, once he gets the ball, his first touch is amazing. Sets him up perfectly for his for his strike and sets us on our way. But I was, um, I think I was telling everyone to calm down because I was a bit worried the ball went out. And obviously VAR being there, I was thinking, yeah, probably screwed. But went our way. I was looking down the line, I knew it wasn't out. I was going absolutely mad, it was absolutely fine. Later in the game, you got replaced, you'd absolutely run yourself into the ground by Joe Taylor. Can I just get a word on Joe? Because not only did he score what we all thought was the goal that took us to the Premier League, only to be harshly ruled out, or yeah, I suppose ruled out, but he then stepped up and took the second penalty, which took incredible balls for a young guy. So just a few words on him, please, mate. I love JT. Since he's been in, he's been. he's had to bide his time. Uh, he's a confident boy. If you speak to him, he, he, he said to me weeks before the final, before we even knew he was going to the final, he was like, uh, penalty in the playoff final, I want to take that. And listen, he got his, he his chance. He almost won it for us. But at the same time, <laughs> he also, um, yeah, he almost won it for us. But then at the same time, he gets to take his penalty and again that goes back to the routine and the management staff but with him you, you could always see he was oozing confidence Not, I didn't have any doubt he was going to miss no doubt at all 
and then eventually of course someone is going to miss and thankfully for our point of view it was a Coventry player who did that can you remember your thoughts when that ball went wide of the goal I didn't see it I didn't watch any of the pens interviews give it a break <laughs> Pelly Ruddock as you heard you obviously knew though that he'd missed and then the emotions then was it just literally go and celebrate yeah so I'll let you into a secret I cried when I knew it was going to penalties because I knew it was a lottery and then I also cried me and Kevin Pilkington, Pilks, um, we shared a lovely hug with tears on our knees uh, when we'd realised we'd won. And from there, it was just like, enjoy. I mean, the gaffer said at halftime, the joy you'll feel at the end of this game when you've won is a feeling you'll never ever be able to describe. And he was correct. Didn't he get man of the match? He did. He got Sky's man of the match. Yep. Uh, rightly so. I thought he was brilliant for the 105 minutes that he was on the pitch. He was. He put a shift in. It was, ba- it was both for me, though. Both him and Morris yeah, did Clark, put a shift in. Clark for me, to be honest. But again, I have no problem with um, any of that. Uh, the final person that I caught up with was the man who made this all happen. He doesn't want no credit, but we'll never stop giving him credit for Joined by the man who's made this all happen, Rob Edwards. Rob, I know that there's people being up before you that have started this journey, but you're the man who was in charge on Saturday. Uh, an incredible day, an incredible day for me. My best footballing day in 35 years supporting this club. So first of all, thank you for that. But just your reflections on the day. Um, special day. Nervous going into it. Um, excited. Felt alive. Um, huge occasion. Seeing uh, seeing the stadium full when we walked out was goosebumps moment, and um, felt really special and really humble to be able to walk the team out at Wembley. Uh, incredibly proud of the performance, especially after Tom going down early in the game. I thought the first half we were excellent. Second half they uh, made a change. They were better for the first 25 minutes or so. I thought. I thought then we recovered the momentum and we got stronger again as the game went on and the extra time, and then the character and the 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 presence of mind and the technique that the players showed under real pressure pressure situation penalties we all knew what was on the line at that moment I'm so so proud of the lads and uh, yeah it was an amazing amazing day I watched match of the day last night and it's the last time the match of the day is going to take place without Luton Town on it for a year it's just an incredible just an incredible situation yeah it is really special um yeah, it's hard to when you say it like that. You know, it does make you think. Wow, you know, you realise what's happened, and, and and I know where we've come from, and the journey that you've all been on, and the the lows that you've gone through to get us here. So, yeah, we've got to enjoy this right now, and we've got to enjoy next year. And we know there might be one or two difficult times next year, maybe more than one or two, but we'll stay together as we always do, and we'll uh, we'll come through it. I, I just can't wait now. I just can't wait for it. I am so glad you're the man taking us to the Premier League. No one deserves it more than you. Thank you so, so much. Thank 
right, chaps, if we run down this podcast then. James, just give me your sort of reflections on what would just been an incredible season. Well, I mean, you've, you've got to look at the games that we've already spoken about, the, the Watford home game, incredible. Um, and then the Sunderland semi-final second leg, which was, uh, you know, it was it was the Watford atmosphere on steroids or, well, two for one beers probably. that <laughs> um, they, were, they were brilliant. The, the first game that we mentioned, uh, the Norwich game, the, the um, Corley Woodrow goal, but just so many performances really. Um, you know, a defence that got 20 clean sheets and seemed no matter who was in that defence, because it was a bit of a revolving cast at, at certain points, it was solid. Um, Carlton Morris scoring 20 goals. There was a period there where it was just one nil away. Carlton Morris, wasn't it? That was um, incredible. The the link up between him and uh, Elijah, obviously. Elijah didn't score as many as he'd probably hoped it, but you know he's he set up that goal at Wembley, uh, and he'll forever be remembered for that as well. So um, you know, just the amount. It, I mean, you'd be here forever trying to sum up that whole season because it was just absolutely bonkers. Um, you know, losing a manager again, getting another guy in who's better, and just this story, this magical story. And the more you think about it, with hindsight, it does sort of seem like this football fate that it was meant to be. I'm not I'm not sure I necessarily believed in it or believed in it. And now when you look at it, you go, well, surely it must have been because they were nowhere near it at the start of the season. They went on this incredible run once uh, Edwards come in, absolutely stormed to third. Um, and in the calendar year, you know, 2023, it was only Burnley, the runaway leaders Burnley, that got more points than Luton. So you could say if it wasn't for that slow start at the, at the start of the um, season, they might have got automatic. Um, it was just, it was just an unbelievable season. And I know we say these things don't come around a lot. Fortunately, they do. <laughs> for us, we've seen four of those promotions in the last ten years. But surely nothing can come close to that day uh, at Wembley as the culmination of a season of just unbelievable delight. And if it does, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to be able to cope with it because, uh, you know, nerves and emotions were all over the place on that day. Uh, and they still are really because you hear a lot of people say it hasn't sunk in and I don't think it has and I don't think you should let it. Uh, and and don't worry about too much about the Premier League and what we're going to do. For now, enjoy yourself. Have a yeah, summer yeah. of enjoyment. Yeah, we've got two months until a ball's kicked in the Premier League. So uh, enjoy absolutely every... Uh, Every minute of recollecting on that. Uh, Tony, whenever a season ends, players leave as an inevitability. Uh, one in particular that uh, you can give your thoughts on, our captain, Sonny Bradley. He's been here five years. He led us to the League One title. He's led us to the Premier League. OK, he wasn't on the pitch during the playoffs, but he still played his part over the course of the season. Absolute heroic leader. Absolute top man. Went through an awful lot off the pitch in the last 18 months or so, but still gave his all on it. It deserves every credit and he leaves it with our best wishes. Welcome back at Kenwood anytime he wants. Without a shadow of a doubt, Kev, he's epitomised what we're about as we've, we've gone up from, well, when he joined uh, in time for the League One campaign. Um, led with that example. I think it's fair to say that we probably haven't seen the best of him over the last 18 months. 
but that was circumstances beyond his control. Um, but we never, ever failed to get 100% out of the man. Great leader. All the players looked up to him. And uh, it was fantastic to see him lift that trophy. He's been a fantastic servant for our club and I, and I think he'll be missed. Uh, and actually, uh, it was a mark of the man that Sonny Bradley was the first man to go up to Fankati Darbo yes. after he missed the penalty yeah. to console him and... You know, it takes a special man because I've got to be honest, I'm in the crowd at that point. I couldn't care less about the bloke who just missed the penalty. But no, fair play to Sonny. Um, it wasn't the only one, though. Carlton Morris did yeah, as Carlton well. Morris, Jay the Taylor was there as well. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right. And yeah, yeah, fair play to Sonny. And yeah, thank you very much for all yeah, the service you. you've provided. Uh, Reg, two others have gone. Um, Henry Lansbury, another one over the last two seasons, given us so much joy, whether he's kicking people up in the air, mowing the grass or pinging them in from 35 yards. Special footballer who we wish all the best to. And, of course, Harry Eisner, who stepped in after that unfortunate incident to Jed Steer in the Chelsea game last season. And would have finished the season between the sticks for that stupid rule that the emergency loan has to play uh, the game. Two men who've been very much part of this success that have got us to the Premier League, albeit Harry's been out on loan for the last six months. He's still been a valuable squad member. And, of course, is Henry. Henry Lansbury kicks who he wants, doesn't he? Mm. Um, it can put the ball on sixpence from 30 yards. There's not many players that can do that. Um, Isted's done tr- uh, brilliantly. He was man of the match for um, Bradford the other week. Barnsley. Barnsley, sorry. Man <laughs> of the match um, for Barnsley in their playoffs and only narrowly lost by... Well, it's cruel, wasn't it? You know, a diving header and he got his hand to it. But there you go. And then he gets released the next game. It's it, It's a funny old game. But where do Luton improve now? We've got to get a few new players in, I suppose. But when you look over the previous years, the last six, seven, eight years, we've improved every year. Whether we've been in the same division, we've finished at a higher position. Now we've gone up in the Premier League. What's an improvement? Is, rele- well, is relegation an improvement? No, I suppose we, we, it could be. We're but, going to improve because we were 23rd this year and the very worst we're going to be next year is 20th. So uh, yeah, That's imp- what I say. I, I, think, I think we'll stay up personally. But even if we don't, if we get relegated, is it still an improvement? Yeah. 23rd to 20th? Let's not worry about no, it. Exactly. Let's all get a drink. Indeed. <laughs> um, James, um, we've actually offered new deals to four uh, players. Pelly Ramkampansu, Tom Lockyer, Amari Bell and Luke Berry, who we all really hope sign their new deals. And indeed the three lone players, well, hopefully we can keep hold of those, Ethan Horvath, Cody Dramay and Marvellous Nakamba. If we get all those together, uh, the future's looking um, pretty good. Yeah, I'd hope so. I mean, um, you hope that they'll sign their new deals. I mean, getting to the Premier League is what it's all about, isn't it? And we hope there's no sort of Cal Naismith situations. Um yeah, uh, everyone we've spoken to, uh, everyone I spoke to at Wembley, everyone you've spoken to at the Victory Parade, talked about Luton as this wonderful place and wonderful club and a community and a family, and hopefully that goes a long way as well to getting them to, to sign the deals. I've got no qualms with them going off and having a bit of a holiday. They deserve it. Obviously, Lockyer needs a bit of rest, and the rest of them might be just about coming back from Las Vegas about now. Um so yeah, the last thing they're going to be thinking about is um, is that at the moment. But um, yeah, surely it would be a massive surprise if those four aren't on uh, don't put pen to paper. Yeah, whoever 
at the fairy tale, obviously missed the chapter where Pelly scores the winner at Wembley, but he can still sign a new contract and play for us in the Premier League, and that will be just about as good a fairy tale as it can possibly be. Uh, that's it for this episode, and indeed this season of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. Kev, been- don't forget, fixtures are out next Thursday. I was coming to that in just a minute, don't worry. <laughs> It has been an absolutely brilliant season. We've loved covering it all throughout the season. Thank you so much to everyone who's been on the podcast. James, Tony, Reg, Simon, Dan. Thanks very much to the Hightown Club who host us when we do these podcasts in person. Thanks to every single player who has given us their time this season. We've had many a player on the podcast and we've caught up with them at events like the presentation evening and the parade. Thanks to Stu at the Football Club for helping us out with all of that. And thanks to you guys for listening. You've given me at, at games so many, so much great feedback. I really, really appreciate that. We really appreciate all of your support. And the next time you hear us, we will know who Luton Town are playing in the first game of the Premier League season. As Tony just alluded to, the fixtures are out on Thursday, June the 15th, 9am. That's when we find out when uh, when and where Luton are playing in the Premier League. This is a Premier League podcast from here on in, gentlemen. Uh, it, we will react to the fixtures coming out in our first podcast of the well I suppose you could call it the new season really um not exactly sure of the details when and where yet we're still kind of coming down from party mode but we will work it all out so uh, in order to make sure you don't miss it like us subscribe us reviews and everything else that you can do just to just to support us and we will be back with Luton Town in the Premier League thanks very much for listening <laughs> <laughs>